Welcome to Mr. Thomas's podcast. It's my pleasure to be here with Hector and with Riley. And we're going to talk today about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, giving kind of the background of the book. It is a story of someone who is in hell. C.S. Lewis almost talking in the first person. And it seems like he's put himself in hell. And then he flies up on a magic bus, not that magic bus, um, to heaven. And he gets to see what heaven is like. And uh, it then has what I would call a series of parables, almost, of why people have chosen hell over heaven. Um, I think it's important when you read The Great Divorce to think about it. It's not necessarily talking about the nature of heaven, per se, but it's talking about, like, why people choose hell over heaven or heaven over hell. Um, just uh, It was a bit on my mind just because this Sunday I am preaching at my church in uh, Kingsburg First Baptist, and I th am describing and thinking about glory and uh, just is the suffering of this life worth the heaven that comes there is kind of the theme of the sermon. So the great divorce goes alongside of that. So oftentimes I think people will choose, I'd rather suffer in this life than be in glory with God. And they would rather remain in kind of their existential suffering. That's why I say in worldviews that existentialism is like the other worldview we choose. We either choose joy or suffering at a certain level, in my in my opinion. Um, you can put sure. on that. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, I'll start with Hector. And Hector, what did you like about the book? And then um, well, they've got chapters they've picked out that they'll talk through. Um, so yeah, as Mr. Thomas said, it's it's about a story from a bus ride to heaven to hell, well, hell to heaven. Um, and as he said, each of the characters that we meet, or <clears throat> rather the spirits that we meet, um, for each of them, there's a sort of parable, a lesson to be learned. And it's, it's really interesting because as, as you go from the earlier chapters to the book onto the later ones, you kind of see a common theme um, happening throughout. And as Mr. Thomas said, all these people would rather choose to suffer than to choose joy um, and to be a part of that eternal heaven. Um, but what I really noticed was, um, as we see each of these people in their dire situations um, and, and the choices that they have to make, really at the core of it, all of them are choosing um, to, to remain one with their flesh, right? They don't want to leave their worldly desires. Um, it's something that they can't live without, whether that be people that they're attached to or um, their career choices or the pursuit of knowledge or um, other philosophies, as we see later on in the book, uh, that I think Mr. Thomson and Riley will touch on. But they all have a common theme, and that's the, the inability to leave and to uh, kill your flesh in order to step into that heavenly province. And so it's just really interesting to see. Um, and like Mr. Thomas said, there's a lesson to be learned from each of the characters. Now, for me particularly, uh, the three chapters that stood out to me the most are 11, 12, and 13. So I'm going to start off with chapter 11 and just kind of detail the characters we meet and the lesson that is to be learned there. So in chapter 11, um, we have our main character. As Mr. Thomas said, it's almost as C.S. Lewis is uh, giving the story from the first perspective as if he is going from hell to heaven. So the main character <clears throat> meets this man. Uh, this man has a red salamander on his shoulder who is constantly babbling uh, to him and, and just spouting nonsense to the point where uh, the man is is growing sick of it and and he wishes to just silence him so that way he can have complete utter silence as, as he's going mad with all the comments that the salamander is making. Well, eventually, um, it's described as a being of fire appears, and this is uh, presumed to be an angel um, in the heavenly province. A being of fire appears, and he tells the man, would you like me to get rid of the salamander? Would you like me to uh, shut him up? To which the man responds, uh, yes, please do. Um, he's causing me much trouble. 
so the angel of fire gets closer and he says, okay, um, I'll kill the salamander right here, right now. To which the man responds, no, um, that's a very drastic measure to take. I don't think that we need to go that far. Instead, why don't we just silence it instead of killing it? The angel then begins to uh, reason with the man and says, wouldn't it be better to kill it so that way um, it can never speak to you again and never drive you to this madness? And uh, the man, um, almost in almost in like complete confusion, uh, completely switches his actions from wanting to silence the salamander to then defending it and saying, no, no, no. I mean, the salamander is not all that bad. Uh, I don't think he deserves to die for babbling nonsense, um, to which the angel and again reasons. Uh, there's no way to completely shut it up. Just let me kill it right here and now. The man finally agrees. And uh, when the angel begins to get closer, he begins uh, spewing flames from his hand to the point where the man gets uncomfortable with the heat. And he says, no, 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 you're going to hurt me and kill me as well. And the angel tells the man, no, uh, this will not kill you, but it may hurt. The man finally obliges and the angel uh, sets the salamander ablaze while um, burning the man partially, not completely. Uh, he's still very much alive. The salamander rises to the ground, um, and then eventually, in a complete uh, turn of events, the salamander turns into a great stallion, and the man also transforms into a great being, um, almost as tall as the angel, not not as significant or not as magnificent, but instead uh, just transforms into this this otherworldly being from being um, a shrewd little soul into a, magnific a magnificent heavenly being. And the lesson to be learned here and why it stuck out to me is I think, like I said, the common theme is this man is unwilling to let go of his flesh. Um, and the angel comes in and offers to, to take away these worldly desires and replace it with something much more fulfilling, that joy that Mr. Thomas was talking about, um, that otherworldly joy, that heaven and that God and uh, Jesus Christ brings through his, his sacrifice. But um, we all aim to have that, right? But what we don't realize is that, that the replacement of these things, there's going to be that tough little transition period because we long, we long for the flesh. We long for those worldly desires. And ultimately when those things are replaced, we go through a little bit of a tough period, almost like a withdrawal period um, where we struggle. And that's why the words the angel says to the man, he says, the killing of the salamander will not kill you, but it will harm you. And that really stuck out to me because I think that so often, like I said, we don't realize that how much our flesh and how much the worldly desires play an impact on us, how much uh, control they have over us. And so when those things are eliminated, it's going to hurt. It's going to be a change. It's going to, it's a part of that transition from um, becoming broken um, into a whole creature again through the love that Jesus Christ has provided for us. And that's just why that uh, story kind of stuck out to me. It, it's interesting because it's a painful love though. Uh -huh. And um, we don't want it in this lifetime. I think one of the things that he makes this point um, in The Weight of Glory, a sermon that he gave, where it's like, we're fooling around with food and sex and like whatever random things that you guys are, um, you know, desiring to do today. And then it's the whole <clears throat> idea that like you're playing, having a salamander torment your ear versus riding a stallion right. is the comparison to give to the joys of heaven. And this is where like, the comparison is just so to me, like in that sense is so powerful. Um, if I remember right, is that the one uh, ghost? I'll let Riley explain the ghost. Um, the one ghost that actually gets transformed. Yes. In the entire book. Yes. Yeah. All the guy, people that ride the bus up from hell are like ghosts. They're hardly material. They're not real. 
And then they become, if you like enter into heaven, you become more real. Anyhow, so explain the ghosts, Riley, better. Yeah. So all the, all the people that haven't been a part of heaven for a long time, people that took this bus ride from hell to heaven are quoted in the book as being ghosts. They're not full people. They might have a portion of what they were, but in comparison to heaven's reality, they are pretty much nothing. They're just a floating essence going around this place of utter amazement. And there's a big contrast between the ghosts and then what's described in the book as the solid people. And these solid people have managed to go deep into uh, into heaven's property and through the joy and through the experiences that they are able to encounter in this new place that is so much greater than anything we could even begin to comprehend being stuck on earth they become so so uh, intact they become so whole through the love that is provided for them in this place that they're described as solid they have a soul but they also have a spiritual body and that contrast has a lot of thematic significance because it cs lewis is trying to show that that's what happens when you turn away from what you originally were and you run towards God, you run towards that place of joy and you run towards a place of forgiveness and a place where you can uh, truly find who you really are in, in Jesus. And so I think that's a big point in the book that it's for plot because you need to have separate characters to be able to develop a plot, to be able to have some differences in their opinions so that then you can make conclusions based on thematic significance. But yeah, that's a point that's pretty important in the book. Which uh, story stood out to you, Riley, or which? Ooh, the story. So, so the chapter that stood out to me, Hector Moore talked about the stories, which are really, which are really cool. I enjoy those as well. But the main one that stood out to me is chapter nine, which is in roughly the middle of the book. It's the longest chapter in the book by far. And the first person character who's never given a name, He's just a ghost who's experiencing all this stuff. Do you think it's autobiographical like it's Lewis? I, wa I wonder. Okay. It seems weird because the person he meets is George MacDonald, who I believe you, Mr. Thomas, said is a universalist, so named author. All I say there, he shows up with George MacDonald. If you are not familiar with your you know, 20th century British authors, you'll know nothing of George MacDonald. Um, George MacDonald is a Christian. He has an odd belief about heaven, which is universalism. That is... The door between heaven and hell is unlocked and then eventually everyone would eventually get to heaven when they got sick of hell i don't think that that's what lewis believes but his view that he's presenting here is something like mcdonald would do mcdonald mm -hmm. is the one that introduced um c.s lewis to i'm just going to call it christian fantasy which i don't even know that you would have read a book like fantasies if i'm even saying that name right but the, here's the basic idea he writes mythical stories and makes you think about heaven and mm -hmm. gods and evil and sin and they're all like um uh lost and in, lost into it but here's the point he thinks a lot about heaven and so um lewis says that when he read the book fantasies that um fantasies he uh his bat his imagination got baptized he went from somebody that didn't believe there was something more out there to somebody who kind mm -hmm. of did even if he didn't believe in god yet even and McDonald then is his guide into this deeper world, like maybe this world that we think is mythical 
there might be something like a heaven that's going to look something like it. And so, yeah, then go ahead and describe their conversation because it's a, a loaded conversation. Probably don't have time to like fully. No, yeah, their conversation could last for a really, really long time. But some some of the main ideas, the first one that I'll talk about is is interesting because it describes the contrast between hell and heaven. George MacDonald says toward the beginning of the chapter that hell is a mindset and that anything that is then that heaven is reality so anything that could be that could be it's so weird to describe heavenly things are heavenly but the things of this reality like lust lust is a big one he hits that in the later part of the book and george mcdonald talks the george mcdonald character talks about lust and he uses that as the main thing to show to show the difference between earth's reality and heaven's reality mm-hmm. that's like the main point there because every human lusts after something but lust doesn't exist in heaven because you have everything you have god's love and you have the fulfillment of being in heaven so he says that hell is a mind a mindset which it, it seems weird but he kind of emphasizes it he says that you can have this behavior right, that you keep repeating throughout your life. You could be, I think a grumbler is one of the ones that he gives. And you can be it for a little bit and you're not going to become it yet. But over time, if you keep that same behavior pattern up, eventually you're going to succumb to that and that's going to become what who you are. That's going to become your reality. He says that there's going to become a point where there's no you left to criticize the mood. So that mood becomes you because you have no way of fighting against it because it's because it's become you. And he compares that to hell. And I think that's a really it's a mind bending comparison. It's a really it's a very interesting comparison. Well, it makes you think about your thoughts. Right. Exactly. I spend more time thinking about my lusts or my desires. Um, I mean, that term broadly Mm -hmm. Um, more so than I think about the reality of like say God in heaven right now, interceding for me, worshiping for me, or mm-hmm. my future destiny. I want to read the, the quote because I thought, here's here's um, the narrator. He asked a question to George MacDonald. Then those people who are right, who say that heaven and hell are only states of mind. Like if I got in the right state of mind, I would be, I would be in heaven. If I got in the wrong state of mind, I'd be in hell. Hush, he said sternly, do not blaspheme. Hell is a state of mind. You never said a truer word. George McDonald should be talking with a thick Scottish accent. Right. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try not to do my brave impression right now. And every state of mind left to itself, every shutting up cre- of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind is in the end hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality itself. Yeah. All that is fully real in heaven. For all that can be shaken will be shaken. And only the unshakable remains. I think that raises also a question how he says heaven is reality itself. Yeah. But the only reality we know is on this earth. So is he trying to argue then there that there are pieces of earth that are heavenly and those are the real things, quote unquote, like real. And that it's, it makes you think about that a little bit because it makes you think like, do these objects, do they mean anything? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be heavenly? Is this like really what reality is? And are and does that mean things like friendship and companionship and forgiveness? 
those things are definitely heavenly, but we don't like to strive after those. I feel like, right. Cause those things, they don't offer the instant satisfaction that we as a human crave. Right. And like, especially today with the amazing technology that we have, we have every encyclopedia that's ever been made at, with a touch of a button, you know, like any search engine, Google being whichever one. And so it was, but, but not the reality, like, right. You can't get to France through Google, right? You can't right. get to the location. So you end up fulfilling, well, I'll just go like you end up fulfilling. I'm bored. So I need something to do. So I'm going to turn something on and watch it. I'm my board and my problem was I wanted to be entertained, but then I'm like leaving reality to, to right. do that. Mm -hmm. And heaven won't, I guess there's no Google in heaven. No, because everything's known because everything's known everything's in there known. and accessible. Right. But the reality of the thing, I can go to France. Mm -hmm. So heaven. he, so in that, in that chapter, especially he likes to expose humanities. I'll say, I'll say weak points. Cause then he, it's it, it toward the middle section of the chapter. This is one of the parts of the chapter I remember the most because I think it's very, very true. He talks about a certain philosopher. I forgot the name, but George MacDonald says that this guy, his entire life, he was searching after proofs of God existing in the world. He was going around to different countries. He was writing different papers to try to show, mostly to himself, but to other people, I guess you could say that God is real and that God exists. And he loved this motivation and this striving after a goal. And that's why he kept doing it all his life. Fast forward, he then gets, he goes into heaven and he, and they realize that he is only seeing God as something that exists. He doesn't see him in all of his glory as the true God of the universe. Yeah. All he sees him is, as like another person basically. Like, oh, yeah, God. something else to study, right? Something else to study. It's just, OK, God exists. You know, that's cool. But he but he doesn't see him for all he truly is. And he gets bored of heaven because there's nothing left to strive after. Heaven is it's the it's the final thing. Everything is there. Anything you could ever want, any fulfillment you could ever dream of is going to be in heaven. And he doesn't like that. He yeah. wants to go back into hell where the goal will never really be truly fulfilled, but it's that motivation. It's that desire that's keeping yeah. him going. So he leaves heaven and he doesn't stay there. And I think that's very relatable to a lot of people. Cause I, I see people all the time on the internet who are like that, who keep going after these crazy goals maybe never really fulfilling them. But then once they fulfill those goals, it's like, what do you do now? Yeah. You know? Well, and that, okay, that's where like, okay, the aha, because I always say this, like existential, and I almost mean that like felt, mm -hmm. right? I don't mean like the they take the worldview. It's like the other worldview people go after, which is I must suffer to know that I'm real, to know that I feel, to know that I'm authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you take that suffering away, right? What is the person that's left? Are they nothing? Right. And, um, the, you know, an existential worldview, the, the good life that you live where you're just like living in a house, you know, where the, it's all ease and no, nothing good mm -hmm. is, is lost. And so anyhow, I know I was just thinking about that and especially in re, re, regards, I looked it up at Sir Archibald. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Sir Archibald. That's what his name was. 
I'll give it, um, Hector, maybe give to us, um, we have about five minutes left of this. Um, what do you think um, is the big lesson of the great divorce? Um, so, well, to kind of touch on that and, and to tie it in with my overall thoughts and what the theme is, like Riley said, Sir Archibald, um, he's, yeah, he's in that constant pursuit of knowledge. And when you get to heaven, obviously there's not that constant pursuit of knowledge because like Riley said, everything's accessible. Um, and, and heaven is the end goal. Everything leads back to heaven. And it reminds me, there's another story in the book about a painter who makes his way up to heaven uh, from hell on the bus ride. And, and he's constantly asking, um, when can I paint? Like I'm looking at these, these splendid sights and uh, the most uh, delightful views. And he's constantly asking uh, uh, his, uh, his teacher, um, when can I paint? Like I, I want to paint in, in, the angel per se, or just the heavenly being is telling them, you'll get to all that later. That's not the point. You know, it's heaven. You can have everything you want. Uh, you know, it, it, there's so much more than just painting, but he can't, he can't fully grasp that because that was his, that was his work. That was his, uh, what he did on earth. And that was what he delighted in. That was what he desired uh, just to be the best artist he can be. And like I said, as you look at all the other characters, there's something that they can't let go of that's tying them um to earth and and separating them from heaven and that's why the title at least what the title the great divorce means to me is is it's talking about that flesh and that divorcing from your flesh um like i said there's there's something within all of us whether we realize it or not something that is hard for us to let go and even if it's buried deep inside and and disguised uh there's something that you we each need to let go of in order to experience the fullness and reality of heaven um as, as George McDonald said, as reality is heaven, heaven is reality, hell is a mindset. We all have that certain mindset about us. And for me, that's what the book is talking all about. It's, it's, it's giving us lessons and parables, like Mr. Thomas said. And it helps us, um, as C.S. Lewis kind of does with his other books, it almost helps us personify uh, those fleshly desires as uh, kind of with the screw tape letters. It helps us personify our thoughts and those desires and it makes us see them for what they truly are um as opposed to uh, just another thought or you know just another humanly behavior but instead we see it as this is this is keeping me from heaven this is keeping me from eternal joy with god and that experience um and instead you know this is bringing me down this is causing this will cause me to suffer in the end whether i like it or not and so that's what the book means to me is that um it's this constant pursuit of chasing after heaven because that is reality and separating from our flesh or from our sin the um so even that sense going back to the salamander story um I, do you think in you have the opportunity in this life if the salamander is the flesh to kill your salamander <laughs> to kill your flesh yeah i think i you know it's hard because i think we do all have the opportunity whether whether we like to believe it or not i think we all are capable of that but it 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 requires an immense um, uh, amount of time and immense uh, amount of willpower to do that. And you really have to replace um, those fleshly desires and those fleshly habits with godly habits, whether that be, you know, oh, I'm going to replace, um, what's a bad habit, Mr. Thomas, give me a bad habit. I don't know. Smoking. Yeah, we'll go smoking, gluttony, whatever. Let me replace that instead, you know, with praying uh, two or three times a day or reading my Bible or constantly seeking after the Lord. And those habits are hard to replace. As we see with the salamander story, the man was burned. He, he was physically hurt um, mm. by the replacing of the fleshly desires um, into the heavenly desires. And Mr. Thomas said, it's almost, it's, it's kind of like a disciplinary love, right? Of a parent, right? right? 
we get disciplined because the Father loves us. And whether we don't like to see in the moment that it's for our greater well-being, in the end, it really is for our greater well-being. And that's something that I think we all need to realize and understand. I, I want to I want to emphasize on your point because I think you make a really good point, and I actually agree with you that the great divorce is about leaving behind your physical body and going into your spiritual body and truly experiencing what God has to offer you. But with them not choosing to give up their sins and desires, it's because they don't want to. Yeah, because to keep your fleshly desires is easy. It's easy to fall into temptation. It's easy to continue your old habits like it's just it's simple we can understand it but it takes it takes a person who has been touched by god to say that there's something so much greater out there and i think that's what c.s lewis is trying to do is he loves to play with people's imaginations right like especially with his narnia series like he loves to go into the the fantasy realm and through those fantasies make a point to try to get people to understand Christianity and what it really is about. And I think that um, when the people don't choose to give up themselves, they choose to stay, stay stuck because it's, it's, it's simple and you can, under, you can understand how to do it. Yeah. All right. This is going to be the end of this podcast. We may discuss it off mic a little bit some more, but the um, the basic idea, um, I'm going to have these two guys read what I would call my favorite reading of all time next, The Weight of Glory, and we'll probably be back here in a week. That is all. That's all cool. right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.